Hello and welcome to the Sasha Sessions, a Team USA podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Cohen, Olympic silver medalist in figure skating. Joining me this week is Mame Baini. Mame is the first black woman to represent Team USA in short track speed skating at the Olympics. She is currently training for her second games in 2022. Welcome, Mame. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, I want to start at the beginning because your story is fascinating. Basically, where it all began for you, you were born in Ghana. So how did you end up on the ice? I think it was kind of like by chance, really, because me and my dad were driving down a road two minutes away from his work. And I think he probably like, picked me up from daycare or something. And we were driving down this particular road and it basically had like a sign that said, learn to skate. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was just like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm five years old in the backseat, just chilling. So I don't really know what you're talking about, but yeah, for sure, I'll try. And so then I started doing figure skating for maybe like six months five to six months, something around there. My figure skating coach, who was also a speed skating coach, told my dad that I was going to fast figure skating. I should try speed skating. I tried it, um, went to DC Ice every Saturday for a couple of years. And then I eventually was like, oh, I kind of want to like do this full time kind of. Um, And so then we, I joined a club um, that was skating in Maryland and yeah. And then it just like took off from there. (laughs) And can you remember what it felt like the first time you stepped on the ice? For me, it was such a foreign concept. I felt like I was flying and I loved the speed and I was just a wild kid that was basically (laughs) put into gymnastics to use up my energy and, and then found the ice. Do you remember what it was about skating that made you first fall in love with it or what that first feeling was like? Um, it was definitely the fact that I could just like feel the cold wind or air like in my face whenever I'm skating. Um, I don't remember like the first time I got on the ice, but um, my dad told me that when he saw me the first time getting on the ice, he was super scared that I was just going to like fall and like hit my head or something. But he was like, nope, that did not happen. She was just like flying and like <laughs> going wherever she wanted to go and having a time of her life. So, yeah, I I was born for the ice. <laughs> and in 2018, if we fast forward from five-year-old mommy. You Mm -hmm. made history when you qualified (laughs) for the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang in the 500 meter. And by doing so, you became the first black woman speed skater on a U.S. Olympic team. That must have been an incredible moment for you. Yeah, it was um, it was insane because I wasn't even really thinking about like making history or like breaking records or anything like that. I was just focused on like trying to make the team and that's it. Um, And then. Like, I I think there was a moment when I, um, like, high-fived my coach was when I realized that, oh, like, one, I made the team and also that I, like, did something pretty cool. (laughs) Um, And then um, it, like, dawned on me when I went on my phone and, like, I saw all of these, like, headlines and a lot of people texting me. I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, dang, (laughs) look at me. (laughs) And what was that moment like for you in a bigger sense Meaning, what did representing the U.S. as the first black woman in speed skating mean to you, either as 
all of a sudden becoming a role model to so many young girls or just having achieved something so historic in a sport where there are not many black figure skaters or speed skaters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it meant a lot. And I was just thinking I was, cause I, I don't know if this is like a good thing to say, but I feel like I don't really like see myself as a role model, just mainly because I'm a, I'm a very, I'm very like kiddish or like I'm very childish. Um, And so I think just being able to have that um, title of like being the first black woman to uh, make the short track team um, and just to like have that or be an inspiration to little girls and little boys all over the world um, who want to do something that not a lot of people are able to do um, or like get in a sport that isn't comfortable for them. Um, I think that I'm, I'm very honored to like be able to be that um, like role model, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's certainly something that maybe people think of role models in a more serious sense, but I think there's something effervescent about the joy and I won't say innocence, but just the true spontaneity. And it's, it's very authentic. I think the way that your personality and the way that you communicate comes through. And I'm curious if that comes, where that comes from. Do you think that has to do with your cultural roots in Ghana and perhaps a different way of seeing the world? Uh, you know, I think in Western culture, we can sometimes be so serious and so yeah. focused. <laughs> and, and I've noticed in my travels, whether it's in Asia or in Africa, everyone has a very different disposition towards life and joy. And so I'm wondering yeah. where that's come from, from your perspective. Yeah. I kind of think that it comes from my dad because we're like very much opposite. Um, He's very serious and like wants me to do like certain things. Like I love him, uh, but he wants me to do like certain things in a certain way. Um, And it's just very like straightforward, you know, Um, and just like how dads are. Um, But for me, I'm very like, I'll go with the flow. when if this happens cool if it doesn't happen cool um yeah there's like sometimes where I like want like things to be planned out but I don't know I feel like it comes from my dad and like living with him and be and him being so serious like I just feel like I needed to be the person to like put a little bit of funniness and like whole heart wholeheartedness and I don't know just like not that my dad doesn't give me joy, but like just joy in the atmosphere whenever we're at home. So I like that it's bringing the joy to the world that you want mm-hmm. around you. So that is a, a very good way of taking things into your own hands. I want to ask you a little bit more about your dad. And I know that you ended up moving to the United States from Ghana at the age of five and you were raised just by your dad. Yeah. So I would love to know what it was like to be living in a foreign country whose culture was completely foreign to you, being separated yeah. from your mom and, you know, having to, to navigate a new world, new culture, starting a new sport. And like mm-hmm. you said, your dad was working a lot of that time. Yeah. Um, so there are like good times and bad times, obviously. Um, it wasn't all like roses and sunshines and stuff like that. I don't remember like the first couple of years that I was here, but 
Um, my dad would tell me all the time that, especially like the first couple of um, months that I was here, like I wanted to explore every single thing I could about the U.S. Like we would, he he tells the story to like every single person we meet. Um, he says he told me that um, like when I first got here, we went to J.C. Penney. Um, and apparently like as soon as the doors opened, it was like a whole new world for me. And I would like go to like one side and like pick up toys and tell them that I want this. And then I would go to like the other side and tell them that I wanted this. And like, basically I told them that I wanted the whole store. Um, but like, I think that, um, kind of, I guess is like a, um, a stepping stone of how I saw like the U.S. Like it was just like a brand new shiny thing that I wanted. And just and I think that's also why I like told my dad that I wanted to stay here. Let me ask you perhaps what you miss most about Ghana and mm. what you like most about the U.S. That's completely different from, yeah. you know, your childhood in Ghana. Or I don't know if you go back to visit frequently. Yeah. Um, so the last time I went was in 2014. Um, so that, um, and I want to go back like pretty, pretty soon, uh, maybe like after this Olympics. Um, but the one thing that I miss most is obviously like my mom and my brother, but also like the food. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Um, it's, oh my goodness. And there's one, um, like dish that I really, really like. And my dad has actually hasn't made it in a really long time, but it's called Fufu or I pronounce it, pronounce it Fufu. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. Um, but it's basically like a plantain, um, kind of, uh, flour and then you put it in soup and you just like eat it and it's so good. Um, that's like the one thing that I miss the most. Um, and just like being, it being from Ghana is just like more authentic and I, <laughs> so good. Um, and then the one thing that I love about America is just the fact that like one, there's a lot of diversity. Um, I mean, in it's funny because like in my, in like speed skating, it's mainly only like Asians and um, white people. So <laughs> I, but anyway, it's a little bit, it's still diverse. Um, but then also just the fact that like you can come here and um, like, there's nothing stopping you from doing anything that you want or love. Um, and you just have like so many opportunities to be able to be who you are. So, yeah. <laughs> That's very well said. I'll have to, if I get to Ghana, I'll have to try that dish. You'll have to email me so I yes. won't remember the spelling. Yes, so good. <laughs> I want to shift to a slightly more, I guess, serious topic. The whole world has been dealing with COVID and a pandemic, yeah. and it's been very tough for everyone. And it's been, I think, especially tough for athletes who have had either the Olympic and Paralympic Games postponed or all their World Cups canceled. Yeah. And I would love to know for you in particular how you've dealt with that vacuum. I think that most of your events have been canceled in the last year and a half. Yeah. And as athletes, we're so used to having these specific goals so we can measure our progress at competition. Mm -hmm. And it must have required a serious uh, shift in strategy and preparation yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm curious what that experience has been like for you since the yeah. pandemic began. Yeah, um, it was so like in the summer, it was kind of, I guess, like um, you never knew what was going to happen because 
Um, one, like they would be like, oh, like we have World Cups coming up soon. And then they would cancel it like six or nine weeks beforehand. And so then we would have to like shift our training program because our training program is more for like getting ready for World Cups. And then when they're like, oh, World Cups are canceled, even though like six to nine weeks is a long time, like it's not really at the same time because you're gearing up for a big competition like a World Cup. And then when they say, oh, it's canceled, you kind of have to just be like, oh, okay, then what am I training for? What am I doing now? Um, And so then like, and so we have, uh, in a normal season, we have six World Cups and a world championship. Um, And so then like every single time they'd be like, oh, World Cup is canceled. And then it's like, okay, then maybe we're training for the next World Cup. Um, that's like World Cup three or something or World Cup four. And then they're like, nope, it's canceled. Um, and so the way that I like switched my mindset was like, okay, um, I'm just gonna just train now. Like, I'm just gonna, like, my new goal is to train for the next coming season. So like basically this season, um, because I, I'm going to be realistic and say that I don't think there's going to be any more World Cups. Um, this season. And so my goal is to just train for the Olympic season and just to like get as much work as I can and get as strong as I can um, this season so that I'm good for the Olympic season. Yeah. I hope that made sense. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's, the timing is so close between the games and summer games in Tokyo and now the winter games in Beijing that'll be next year. So I know everyone on the Olympic and Paralympic committee is moving fast (laughs) trying to get things done but it's super excited for fans after having to wait and miss watching that we'll get two games almost in a row to watch yeah and I guess I want to transition to the mental health aspect because certainly athlete or not an athlete COVID has been very tough on a lot of people having to be at home, missing social interaction and this yeah. sense of community connectivity. Mm-hmm. And for you missing a year of competition, you lose a sense of meaning and purpose yeah. on top of that, even though you still have the bigger Olympic goal a little bit mm-hmm. further out. I would love to hear you comment on the role of mental health in your training and maybe perhaps tough stretches that you've gone through, maybe yeah. either leading up to your first games or coming off of that high after because there are certainly many, many highs and lows when you're training in a competitive (laughs) sport and, and everyone's experience looks very different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, so I think like before the Olympics, um, in 2018, like I just wanted to make the Olympics and I don't think I had any like mental, um, health issues going into, um, the Olympic season or going into the Olympics, I was just super excited. Um, but like you said, like after the Olympics and like, um, the high of it, like it was amazing, but also like the low of it was kind of bad. Um, just not because, um, just mainly because I just like wanted to do so well, um, coming into this Olympics that I just like, I just felt stuck and I just feel like I wasn't, um, I think also another factor was that I wasn't getting enough support with my um, previous national team coach. So it just like, like a lot of factors going in and it just like sucked. (laughs) But um, luckily I was able to get out of that with the help of my dad and like a lot of other 
um, people in the skating community, like helping me figure out like if I even wanted to keep skating or, um, and like what my goal was if I wanted to keep skating, um, and to like work out a plan to figure out, um, like step-by-step to how to be the best I can be at this Olympics. If you asked me this question, um, a couple of years ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, mental health is great. Um, without having any experience, but with having experience, um, I think mental health is so important because I, um, like, it's great that you have your physical health when it comes to a sport, but if you don't have a good mental health or a good stable mentality, then you're kind of screwed because I think there's like a quote that's like, it's like 10% physical and like 90% mental or something like that. And that is insanely true because if you don't want to do something, then your brain is not going to send those signals to your body. So I know that mental health is super important and people who struggle with that, um, my heart goes out to you because I understand what you're going through. Yeah. And what did burnout look like for you? Was it not wanting to go to the rink and train? Was it feeling the weight of pressure and expectations of trying to make a second team and prove yourself in a certain way? Yeah. Was it fatigue of doing the same thing over and over <laughs> when your friends are having fun and partying? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm curious what it looked like for you. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel like this is a little sad, um, but for me, like burnout is mainly just like me not wanting to get me not wanting to get out of bed like i just did not have the motivation to do absolutely absolutely anything like not even like go outside and look at the sun like i just wanted to stay in my bed and watch tv and not have anyone um like interrupt me or like talk to me or anything like that and it's funny because i love to talk one and i love to be around people so um whenever i'm at that um place I um I force myself to like get out like even to like get out of my bed and like move to the couch is like a win for me um so and and then just watch tv again (laughs) but um just to like get out of the bed and like move to the couch is something that um over the past couple of years I've been like working on because speed skating is such a hard sport like I don't think people understand how hard it is Um, But not only physically, but also mentally. And to like do the same thing over and over again in order to get that muscle memory is pretty depressing because also like you want to do something different um, and you just want to be able to like, like have a different type of thing. I don't know, like in your body and to just do the same thing over and over again. It's just like, (laughs) Um, but yeah. (laughs) And for people who are perhaps experiencing something similar what was it that got you out of that slump where you ultimately found motivation again, came back to the rink and found your effervescence and your Mm -hmm. energy? Yeah. Um, The thing that like, I guess, um, uh, uh, refreshed my brain um, was getting out of um, an environment that I wasn't happy in and then moving into a new one. Cause I think, not I think, but I know that um, 
trying to thrive in an environment that's very toxic for your mental health and toxic for your um, goal setting and like not good for you is not going to help you whatsoever. And to not get out of it and like try to think that, oh, maybe I'll just fix it. If I fix it this way, then it'll be better. And then you do and it does it. And then you try something else and it doesn't like you're not getting anywhere. I just I think um, that it, moving into a different environment will um will like ultimately like change your whole mindset because yeah going into a being in a toxic environment and then like trying to like figure out if it's your fault or if it's like the program's fault or something else and then it just and then you fix and you try to fix every single thing that you can it still doesn't change then I think that's like kind of the sign that you're like okay I need to leave (laughs) I need to get out (laughs) time for a big change we are very responsive as creatures to our surroundings and Mm -hmm. I know that some people try to change their state quickly by doing cold plunges, jumping into a cold pool or just doing something yeah. very dramatic. Yeah. So I, I can definitely speak to the power of changing your environment and circumstances. Thinking about Beijing, which is, again, very, very, very close on the horizon. I think we're yeah. less than a year out. Yeah. It would be your second Olympics. And every athlete who's fortunate enough to make a second Games goes in as a different person, a different kind of competitor. Mm-hmm. Because four years is a long time in the life of an athlete, especially yeah. at this time in our lives, going right. from a teenager to someone in your 20s. And I'm curious to know what your goals are leading up to a second Games, if yeah. you if you make it, and mm-hmm. how you're different as a person and a competitor than you were at your first Yeah. Um, so in my first games, I was very, um, like, uh, eyes wide open kind of thing. I was like, Oh, I was, I was like the five-year-old kid in JC Penny basically. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. And obviously like it was a ton of fun and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but I just, like my goal was to just make the Olympics and I didn't have any other goal besides that. Like, obviously I wanted to like do really well and like, like go on to the podium, but um, that just wasn't in my, in my sight. Um, But now that I have that experience, I've been to multiple world cups um, and I now have like a good group of people around me. um, I think like just shifting and saying, okay, I've been to the Olympics, but now I know what my goals are when I'm at the games. And my goal is to be on the podium or um, at least be content with the result that I have. Because when I went to the games um, in 2018, like, yeah, I, I, I wasn't content with what I had because I knew that I could be better. And there's just like a lot of things that could happen in speed skating. Um, and the one thing that shouldn't have happened happened. Um, but yeah, I think, um, being able to be content and, um, try to be on the podium is something that I, I, I feel like I've, um, like I, I, I've changed since I was 18. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it, it does. And I, now I have to ask you the one thing that shouldn't have happened, but happened. What was that? Oh, um, when, um, when I got off the line and it was me, um, Sophia, who was the Russian girl, um, and then Fan Kishin, um, I'm pretty sure who is from China, um, when we started and, um, Sophia like 
bumped me on the start. And so my start just wasn't as like powerful as it should have been. Um, and that's like the one thing I excel at. And it just was like frustrating, not on Sophia's part, just on my part, just to be like, oh my gosh, like, uh, it sucks. But <laughs> yeah, I think that highlights that you can train your whole life, try to control every input and the randomness that happens in a moment when you compete, whether the Zamboni breaks mm. or competitors in your way and right, yeah. these things that are thrown in, in your path. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just, um, I think, so and also in speed skating, there's a saying that's like, uh, speed skating is like 50 or like 60% luck and then the other percent is like um, skill. I think that's very true because in speed skating, you literally can have like one, um, plan and you want, and obviously you want this plan to like work out, but then you have four other people on the line who have four other different plans going on. And it's just like, okay, <laughs> cool. Great. <laughs> Why can't everyone just follow my plan? <laughs> that reminds me of watching many, uh, races and seeing a whole series of competitors and skaters basically go down like dominoes <laughs> and the top six can go down. And what is the likelihood of that happening? How much of that is in your mind when you're racing? And how are you trying to strategically avoid being part of a domino line? Yeah. Um, so it's pretty likely that one person, maybe two, will like fall in a race. Um, but it's also kind of, but it's unlikely to have like um, like a whole pack of people fall in a race. Um, but when that, or if that ever happens, um, I, I like to think that I have like good reflexes. Um, and especially when I'm in the zone, I think that like the only, I, I, that's actually have happened, has happened to me before. Um, this was a competition, um, here and maybe like three people fell in front of me. And when you fall, like, you're not just going to go straight. You're going to go like sideways and the other side and maybe even straight or like zigzag. And so in order to like avoid that, you have to have some sort of like ability to like use your inside and outside edge. Um, and so I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I just feel like it's, it's a very crazy sport because like I said, you never know what, ha what, what's going to happen. And when that happens, like you have to be able to be like, oh, okay, this is actually happening right now. I have to think about, no, not even think like you just have to go and like try to be the person in front or, and try to avoid the people who are like falling in front of you yeah and sometimes even like so our human instinct or at least mine is is whenever someone falls like I want to like help them and I and like I don't want them to fall so I like so sometimes I would like um like I don't know like hold them if that makes any sense um but then that would um hurt me in the process and so I have to like fight that urge to not help them and not hold them up um so yeah and then I'm just like I'm so sorry even though I like did didn't do anything. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think that's what makes short track such a fascinating, exciting sport to watch. You just never know, know what's going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and just to, before we move on to a different part of the interview, you've become such a face of speed skating and you're going into your second games. You've already accomplished so much with your whirlwind success in Pyeongchang. I'd love to know if you feel any kind of weight or pressure going in, whether it's expectations from Team USA, from the speed skating community, your own fans, and, and what it's like for you as you prepare. 
Yeah. Um, so yes, but also no. Um, I, I, I feel pressure, but just from myself. Um, and I'm just, I, I want to do well for myself. And I, and I feel like, um, when I was like 18, I would be like, Oh, I want to do well for my dad and stuff. But, um, now I just want to do well for myself and like prove to, cause and prove to everyone that, um, the expectation that they had for me is like, is exactly what they expected, you know? And I, and I also just like, don't want to let them down, but yeah. So I guess I'm also kind of like skating for them, but not really, but mainly for myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm skating mainly for myself and I want to be able to prove myself right. And like prove myself that I've put in however long I've been like 11 or what, 16 years now of skating. And this is the moment where I want to be able to just go and not think about anything. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't really feel any pressure from, um, like us speed skating or my dad or any of my friends or my fans, um, which I'm super grateful of. Um, yeah. Cause I just, I think that it would make, um, my life a little bit more harder, but, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. And if they are, I can't feel it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a lot of love and support and good energy heading your way. And, uh, people will be very excited to watch. So <laughs> moving on to Social media platforms, Instagram, it's a strange world that we live in. When I competed, it didn't really exist. I think Twitter and Instagram launched right around the time or right after Mm. my last Olympics. And so I was in a different world. And I think athletes now are so vocal about sharing what they had for lunch and how they feel and their workout routine. And they have this great real-time connection with fans. Mm -hmm. And... At the same time, there are events that are happening in real time and sometimes tragic events and troubling events and public figures and athletes are now using their platform and their voice to to speak out and raise awareness for, mm-hmm. for issues that they really care about. And I know that for you, racial injustice is a big part of that. And right. I believe in one of your Instagram collections, you labeled it ways to help and you're trying to compile information for friends, for fans, so they can learn more about it. And I guess, when did this first start for you? Or did you have a moment when you decided like, hey, I'm going to cross that line and I'm going to speak out beyond my sport and try to try to raise awareness here? Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it actually happened in uh, June, um, around the time that Black Lives Matter was um, starting to become um, like a big thing. Um, but even like before then, I've had conversations with my dad, um, talking to him about whether or not, because my dad is not a social media person, like he doesn't even want me to have Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. Um, and um, I was just like telling him like, oh, daddy, like I kind of want to like, post this and like have people like know what's going on, blah, blah. And he was just like, no, like, don't do that. Um, and not because he didn't believe in them just because he didn't want me to get any of like the backlash or, um, hate or anything like that, which I'm so like, I, I appreciate that from him. Um, but when, um, Black Lives Matter was, um, starting to become a huge thing, um, I was just like, this, (laughs) this has to be like, I guess like my sign, um, to like post something. 
um, because when George Floyd died, I don't know, that just like, like hit me because he was a black man. And yes, there's like thousands of black men who get killed by the police, unfortunately. Um, but for some reason, like the fact that I was with my dad during that time, um, that just like, I was like, this is not okay. Like even more not okay because I'm with my dad and something could happen with him when I'm walking down the street or when we're walking down the street. Um, or if my dad gets stopped by a police car, like something could happen. Um, and so I told him and I like told him my concerns and he was just like, you already know where I stand. He basically said like, you already know where I stand on like speaking out on things like this, especially like in this moment. Um, but you do you basically like you're 20. So you have like, you, you do you. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to post. And so I posted this, like not rant, but just like, um, like, I, I guess like a cry for help for people to understand what I'm feeling right now. And, um, I basically said that like, what's happening in the world right now is not okay. Like this could have happened to my dad. This could have happened to my mom or my brother, or even me. And, um, the fact that people are out there like saying how George Floyd deserved it or how like he should have just complied with the police and stuff. I'm just like, no, like the police should just shouldn't have been racist. You know, like that doesn't it, like you shouldn't justify, um, someone dying because they didn't comply with the police. Like the, like police and people who, um, have like authority aren't, uh, judge executioner and um like all like they they don't have the power to do something like that um so for me and so I was just like okay I have to um like get something out there and like have like a list or maybe even like um have like um, a collection of things for people to know um what to do and how to help and where to donate and what to read or what to watch and stuff um, and yeah, and I just like, kept, I did it for like a month or two, like almost every single day. And then, um, but now I'm like kind of, um, doing it maybe like once a week or once every two weeks, just to get people like saying that one, this is not a trend. Like this shouldn't, like, you shouldn't like stop thinking about it after two months. Um, but also like, it's still going on. Um, so yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's going pretty well so far. I've gotten a lot of love, um, and a lot of support. So yeah, I'm not mad that I made that decision and I would still wouldn't be, even if I did get a lot of hate, I'll just be like, you know what? <laughs> you guys should just block me at this point. If you guys don't um, want to see <laughs> anything about Black Lives Matter or anything like that. <laughs> I think it's so important for someone with a platform and your level of prominence in your sport, especially in a predominantly white sport, to, mm -hmm. to speak out and, and to blur the line. Because I think sometimes the world just sees us as athletes and that's it yes. in cookie yeah. cutter boxes. And to be able to share that you are so much more than just the sport that you represent. You have a history and a family and political issues that affect you. Right. Yeah. And I think being able to to blur those lines, I think, really helps people to continue to understand the prejudice and hopefully pave the way for change. Right. Yeah. No, I completely agree because it's like, yes, like, so for example, like for a doctor or something, like you're not gonna just like have a doctor in 
like a box, you know, you're going to think of them as a human being, you know, but like being a doctor is just their job. The same thing is for athlete or being an athlete. Like, yes, I'm an athlete, but I'm also a human being with feelings and like um, opinions and all these other things. And to just like put me in a box and just say, you're an athlete should only just focus on being an athlete and only just focus on training and getting a gold medal and stuff. Like, yes, that's what I'm doing. But outside of skating, like I don't skate 24, I, I skate 24 seven, but at the same time, I don't skate 24 seven, you know, but, um, like to, in order to like have an actual life, like, and be a, a human being and have like a brain, like I have opinions and I would love for you to respect that. And if you don't, then, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I think identity is so interesting, especially in the life of an athlete and an athlete who is maturing and going to a second or third games and mm-hmm. beginning to think about what their life might be like after a sport. And I know that you are many things, an immigrant and a trailblazer in your sport, someone that's using their platform to further an important cause. And at the same time, you're also a student Mm -hmm. who loves chemistry, wants to be a chemical engineer. So you have so many things going on and a very complex identity, which I think is fascinating. So I guess I'd love to know first where this love of chemistry came from and (laughs) I'll stop there so that neither of us forget what oh, the second yeah. half of the question is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, um, so I love chemistry and um, I, I like sciences. When I decided to become a chemical engineer, that only lasted for like two seconds. <laughs> um, just because me and my dad were talking about, um, so this is like before I got into college and we were talking about like the degrees and stuff that I should like get into. Um, and he was like, what's like the thing that you like doing in school? And I was like, oh, I really like history. And he's like, not that. Um, I was like, oh, okay, then I really like English. Not that. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I really like chemistry and like math and sciences. And he's like, oh, that's great. Okay, That's cool. the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so he was like, let's like, so we t- actually remember this night. We, um took like, I don't know, like 30 minutes onto the computer and like searching up um, jobs and one of it, and we were looking at descriptions and one of it was chemical engineering. And I was like, oh, that kind of sounds pretty cool. And so he was like, okay, that's great. Um, you could do this in college. I was like, okay. And so, um, yeah, I did not, I, I, I stopped doing that, um, I don't know, like a month or so into my college life, just mainly because my roommate actually, um, had, no, not a month. It was like a week. (laughs) Um, my roommate, uh, it was also a chemical engineer is also a chemical engineer and she was taking classes and it was so sad. And, um, like a week into it or two weeks into it, she's like came to the dorm and like started crying because of how hard it was. And I was like, Oh, um, I'm okay. I don't like, I, I took a class and I was like, I'm going to not do this anymore. So yeah, me and my dad had to talk about that. He wasn't very happy, but you know, it's okay. It's, it's my life. <laughs> you have time. It's hard to, I can't imagine training for a second games and going to school at the same time. So yeah. you already have a lot on your plate there. Yeah. Yeah. And and I tried to let my dad understand that, and I think he did. Um, and so I, I tried doing information systems for a little bit, 
and it was fun, but I just like did not see myself doing that as a career. And then now I'm trying to see if I want to do biology, but who knows? (laughs) You have time. You have time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the second part of my question was really how this fits into the concept of identity and perhaps how you see yourself now and potentially in the future as a retired athlete. I know that personally, I was homeschooled and I didn't go to college until after I retired. So my identity was really just figure skater, figure skater, figure skater. And that's how the world saw me as well. And so Mm -hmm. it was, the image was mirrored back. And the day that I retired, everyone still kept coming up to me as, oh, you're that ice skater from 2006. Oh, (laughs) tell us about your life. But that's all they saw me as. And that's all that I really saw myself as because I never explored other interests. And I'm curious what your experience has been like in exploring identity and thinking about your life and your ambitions beyond speed skating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I'm a very, uh, individualized person, if that makes any sense. Like I am a, uh, I like to just be out of the box and be different, Um, and yes, like, like you said, like speed skating or figure skating, like is who I am. But outside of that, it would, it would be nice to not only be known as like a figure skater or a speed skater. It'd be nice to be known as like, oh, I also got my college degree in this, this, and this. Um, and I think that's also what, um, me and my dad kind of agreed on. Sorry, I keep bringing my dad into this. (laughs) Um, but that's what like we both agreed on. And it was just mainly like, um, after, like after speed skating is not going to be your whole entire life. Like you're not going to do speed skating for 50 years. Like that's unreasonable and unrealistic. Um, but so after speed skating, like, what do you, what do you want to do and who do you want to be and how are you going to make a living out of that? Um, and so it's very important for me to go to school and like have a degree and something that I love and that I can see myself doing for basically, basically like my whole life. Um, and I think that's why also like, I'm kind of like jumping around in, um, the degrees that I want, because I feel very, um, fortunate to like been able to like been introduced to speed skating and love it very like from the start, um, and have loved it for this long. And so I think, I'm very spoiled in that. And that's why I'm just like, ah, chemical engineering is not what I want to do. Eh, um, information systems, not what I want to do. Um, so yeah, hopefully I'll be able to figure out what I want um, before I graduate. Um, so I got like what, three years to go. (laughs) You have plenty of time. And as someone who graduated five years ago, I'm still navigating the nuances. And I think when you spend 10 years, 20 years in a sport doing the same thing every day. So focused, you know what discipline is like, Mm -hmm. you know what repetition is like. (laughs) And so you are careful before you commit again. And the bar is high to love what you do. So give yourself permission to explore there. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I needed that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to explore two quotes of yours that I came upon in my research that I loved. And the first one was this idea of being uncomfortable and that you are trying to focus actually on being uncomfortable and bringing that theme into your racing and your speed and that you see that as a good place for your mind to be. 
Can you describe that for most people who were probably very thrown off by that statement? Yeah, um, actually, uh, I I heard about that um, with one of my previous coaches. Um, I actually went to the games with him, and we were just like talking and talking about like strategy and stuff. So I like recently became uncomfortable or like wanting to be uncomfortable. And he basically like told me that in order for me to do well at the games, I can't keep doing the same race thing, race strategies that I've been doing. I can't keep. Um, like thinking the same way that I have been in like my whole entire life um, or skating career. And so I need to be uncomfortable. I need to be um, uncomfortable leading in the front because that's what all the girls do outside of skating or outside of um, the U.S. Um, I need to be uncomfortable going fast. I need to be uncomfortable just being uncomfortable or I need to be comfortable being uncomfortable Um, And so that was like my theme in um, the racing uh, that we that that we had recently. Um, And it worked out like semi well. I uh, unfortunately like I feel like I did bounce back a little bit into being comfortable and like just sitting in the back. But um, it was like a great first step because now I'm just like okay, the times that I was uncomfortable, I, I, I did what I needed to do and I had the legs to do what I needed to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I want to keep doing that up until the games and even like further. Um, because I just think it's some, like you, you, you learn and you get to eventually be comfortable in the place that you were like, oh, I'm never going to do this. Like, this is too hard. Um, and yeah, I, I'm kind of excited because yes, it's going to be hard, but at the end of the day, like I'm going to hope I'm hopefully going to be on the podium. So fingers crossed. <laughs> if you don't go beyond your comfort zone, you will never find out what you're capable of. So that right, is right, right. Exactly. Good yeah. thing to push. Mm-hmm. So the second quote that I loved is on your Instagram <laughs> bio and you wrote that sharing tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's true delights. Mm-hmm. I love this quote. Is there a backstory here? Yes. Um, so I didn't make up this quote. It was by Uncle Iroh from Avatar. Um, love him. And I think the reason why it like resonated with me so much was because I love one, I love tea and also like I love talking to people, like I said, and even like strangers. Like, for example, when I was I I recently went to New York for a couple of days. Um, and when I came back, I was talking to a, um, an older lady and she just like, she, she, it seemed like she also loved to talk. And I, and I, as much as I love to talk, I love to listen. And so, um, she was just talking about like her life and I don't know if her husband was with her, but, um, yeah, like she was just talking and I was just like, oh my gosh, like I would love to just like come over your house and just listen to your whole life story because, I just think that everyone has different experiences. And I think that um, I have this thing where um, people are in your life or you come across people in your life for a reason. And um, like that lady, she was just like talking about um, like her knee thing that she that was like going on in her life. And I was just like, oh, I have a knee problem, too. So (laughs) this works out perfectly. Um, but yeah, I, that, I, I don't know. I just really like that quote because you can like, it's just fascinating that you can like come across someone that you would never come across, 
Um, and they just like would can talk about something and you're like, oh, wow, this is happening in my life too. And I would love to share that. So yeah. <laughs> Serendipity can be spectacular if we make room for it. I yes, yeah. definitely agree with that. <laughs> I want to close with a question I ask all my guests and that would be, what is your Olympic or Paralympic moment in life? So a moment with that grandiosity and oomph that you feel of training for an Olympic Games, going to an Olympic Games, whether you felt it in opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies. But if there was something that had that kind of significance, perhaps outside your sport and, you know, it could have been an event that happened at an Olympics or with your family or in training, but just something else that was a big moment in your life. Hmm. Like what was like a, um, like a moment that I would like remember forever kind of thing. I think definitely something you'd remember forever and something that also gives you that kind of feeling that you got when you realized you made your first Olympic team or you were on your plane to your first games, just a, a really special moment in your life. Yeah. Um, Actually, I feel like this uh, is kind of a weird thing, but it was after I made the Olympics and I went home and it was like during Christmas and me and my dad, uh, we were just like sitting on the, um, so my dad was sitting on the couch and I was like sitting in front of him and we were actually removing my braids. um, And I don't, I don't know what the conversation was about, but I was just like crying because I was so like, overwhelmed with all the love and um like everything that was going on and just the fact that I was going to the Olympics um and my dad was just there uh just to like comfort me and it was I remember it being like kind of like a um like a uh a sorry a a papa bear kind of like giving their cub like a hug kind of thing and it was so warm my dad didn't give me a hug he was just like removing my hair and talking to me um but yeah I, I don't know I just felt very comforted yeah, I'll, I'll forever remember that because I just know that my dad will always have my back and that he's just an amazing person. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful sentiment. Thank you for sharing your moment. And with that, we're going to wrap up here. I'm wishing you the best of luck training going into Beijing. It's a super exciting time. Soak it all in and <laughs> explore. Don't worry about your major. It will all come in time. <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm actually going to be taking a psychology class in the summer to see if I want to do psychology. So at least you'll figure yourself out along the way. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for sharing your time and your stories. And it's, it's always fun to get into an athlete's head, especially going into a big event. Please subscribe to Sasha Sessions wherever you get your podcasts. You can find new episodes every Monday. Produced by Bigfoot Music and Sound in New York City.